The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl, thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour inside the correction wreckage. How much more are stocks likely to drop despite today's bounce? Is there anything to buy now and how to protect your own portfolios? We're discussing and debating all of that with the Investment Committee. Joining me for the hour today is Jason Snipe, friend of Angelo, Josh Brown, John Nigerian, the co-founder of MarketRebellion.com. I mentioned we are having a nice bounce today. Let's go to the wall. I'll show you exactly what's happening in the market at the moment. The Dow's up better than 1%. That's 400 points. S&P with a nice bounce. Technology bouncing back today. The Nasdaq trying to regain 14,600 on its way to doing just that. The 10-year note yield, 183, just pushing 184. There's been a lot of technical damage lately, Dr. J. Uh, so many different sectors, uh, indices are either below their 50-day, their 200-day. We mentioned the Nasdaq closing in correction territory yesterday. What do you make of the bounce? Are you a believer in it? Should we be? Well, um, when you and I talked last week twice, Scott, from overseas, uh, I was saying we are more likely to bounce at that 200 day for the QQQ than we are to burn right through it. Doesn't mean that uh, it's an all clear that has been sounded, but uh, I'll be watching. And thus far, the volumes are very good. Um, so one of the things, again, that you and I discussed was when you see a bounce and it's not coming on volume and we've still got three plus hours of trading left. Um, when you're not seeing volume, then I'm very suspicious of that bounce. So if the volumes that were in the first two and a half hours of trading today continue, Scott, then I'm going to say, yeah, they, they probably can go higher from here after they caught a lot of late shorts uh, in the shorts uh, and basically took the market higher into that. Josh, we, we oversold or, or not sold enough, you know? You had some interesting commentary today on the reformedbroker.com that I urge everybody to check out about using the opportunity of this bounce to be a seller of things you may be overexposed in rather than a believer in some sort of long-term comeback for some of the most devastated names. Yeah, I, I think it's – look, it's so tempting when you're down really quickly 20 30 percent in a stock – it's tempting to look at a day like today and be like, all right, thank God. And then you, you form this idea in your imagination that if you just hang tight, all of those names are coming back to where you bought them as though that's an important number uh, to the markets and you'll be able to get out even. I think our egos would prefer us to be able to do that. Uh, I think people, um, they overemphasize that possibility uh, in their own mind, especially when the declines have been as quick as they've been 
just in the year-to-date period. It's really remarkable looking at some of the stocks that we talk about on, on, uh, on the air every day, how quickly they've declined. And many of them declined from already having been down big from last February. So I think days like today, typically, they don't represent the end of whatever the, the trend has been. I think they represent just the sellers taking a break. Um, and so I don't suggest that you look at your whole portfolio and just indiscriminately say, all right, I'm using the bounce, I'm using the bounce. But in certain situations where stocks have kept you up at night, you're over-concentrated in a given name, you're fixated on a stock because it's not cooperating with you, those are the situations where you want to say, okay, I don't want to be the guy that pukes at the bottom, but I got this name now that's up 7% having lost 20% in the last two weeks. And I don't want to be as big in that name anymore, or I don't want to be in this anyway. The reason I bought it was it was going up. And now that reason doesn't exist, and there is no fundamental reason why I still want to be an investor in this company. So a lot of traders become investors because their initial purchase goes against them. This is a nice chance to rearrange some things uh, and, and make some moves. And I'm not just speaking prescriptively for everyone else. I'm doing that with a lot of positions in my own personal portfolio. Um, I've lightened up in Uber. I've lightened up a little bit in CrowdStrike. I still have most of my position on. I just don't want to be as big as I've been because I don't foresee those stocks being back at 52-week highs anytime soon, and I want the flexibility. There are other situations, though, Judge, where I just started buying, and I was able to use this volatility to add. And Roblox is an example of that. I've lowered my average price. Uh, The selling there has been unbelievable. Um, another name on holdings. I just started buying it. A very, very fast 10% came out of the name. I was able to add to my position there. So I think it's situational. It's not an across-the-board macro call. It's just about using these opportunities to get yourself in a better position mentally. Okay. So, again, just to underscore the fact that you've been buying a little on the dip of Roblox and and on holdings, Um, I don't want that to get glossed over. Uh, even though you do say that you've been trimming some of your positions. You know, I look at stocks like, and naturally I go to this place, and I go, I go here a lot because it's the area where there's been so much carnage. And it's the ARC stocks. It's the Kathy Wood-type names. It's the, the Shopify's, the Blocks, the Coinbase's, you know, 30%, 40% off of their 52-week highs. The Spotify's, the Twilio's, 40 and 50 percent, respectively, off their 52-week highs. The Palantir, 65 percent. DocuSign and Roku, 58 and 64 percent, respectively, from their highs. Josh, are we talking about those kinds of names or ones to think it might be a pipe dream that they could get back to where they once were because they've come down so fast? Are you referring to those types of stocks, if not those directly? Look, I think it's very difficult to make the case that a lot of those stocks were at those prior levels for any reason other than they were going up. Nothing attracts a crowd like a, like a crowd, and people become very confident in their holdings when every day rewards them with more green on the screen. That cycle, though, also works in reverse. That's psychology. And in bear markets, both for the broader market and for individual stocks— you always have these massive one- or two-day bounces that give the, 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 the longs a little bit of comfort, like, all right, I've seen the worst of it, and maybe scare some of the shorts. But 
that that process, as it plays out, Scott, it repeatedly uh, frustrates the longs because you get this reprieve, you get this day where the pressure seems to be coming off, and you're like, okay, that's it, I went through it, now things will get back to normal, and then that downtrend resumes. And if you've been in those stocks that you're referencing for the most of the last year, they've been going down almost every month with these little sharp rallies in between to kind of keep you hanging on. Um, and that's exactly the types of stocks that I am referring to. Yes, I don't think yeah. uh, that a lot of people who are trapped in them still feel as bullish as they did when they first bought them. But human nature, it, it keeps people uh, from, from making painful changes and booking losses. They don't want to do it. And I get it. I don't want to do it either. So th- days like today, my, my take is you really got to use a day like today to make some big decisions. Let's go to one of those investors, a committee member who is thinking about big decisions in the portfolio, and that's Jason Snipe. Jace, um, you own Twilio, Shopify, maybe maybe some others. I'm wondering how you're thinking about those stocks that have been sitting there with a lot of red all over the place. Yeah. Yeah, so Josh makes a great point here. Obviously, a lot of these names have been feeling pain since part of early last year, but a lot of it really started to happen in November. I think what's important to note here is you've got to right-size some of these names. You know, so for me, on a Shopify or a Twilio, you know, a Block, some of the names that you reference, you know, the business model is, the, is what you need to believe in, but I'm not saying to be pouring into these names at this point because I think a lot of them, are still trying to find a bottom. They're trying to find support levels. You know, obviously we, we've talked a lot about, you know, from a policy perspective, where we're going, you know, taking the oceans of liquidity out of the market and moving into a tightening cycle and the impact that has on on uh, high multiple names like the ones we just talked, we're talking about, you know, so yeah, for me, th- this, is, this has been just right, making sure I'm right-sizing the portfolio and the barbell for me, you know, going forward has been more of the cyclical oriented names and mega cap tech because you still can't abandon growth, even though names like Microsoft are 11 percent off its 52 week high. So starting to look at some of them, you know, Shopify is another one, you know, over 40 percent off its 52 week high, down 25 percent year to date. So they can look appetizing, um, but you have to be careful in this market where we're all multiples um, and valuations are starting to be reset. Sure. But, but Jace, I mean, look, uh, I don't I think we need to forget about the question of pouring in. It's now a question of whether it's time to pour out. I think that's the crux of Josh's argument is is using bounces like today, not to ask yourself the question of, hey, is this so attractive that I need to buy more of a stock that I've loved, but taking advantage of a situation to repurpose and rebalance some of the names that you have loved for so long and simply have to come to the realization that they're never going to get back to where they once were. Yeah. I mean, it's a great point, Scott. And I think even as we look at the ARC names, you know, one of the things that Kathy Wood always talks about is your time horizon. You know, where are you on that, on that, on that trajectory? So is it a five-year time horizon or is it a one-year time horizon? Those are very different stories. You know, so it, for an example, a name like Twilio or a name like Shopify or a name like Block, you know, the 12 month going out, might, that might be a trade. That might be an opportunity to get out on you know, a bounce like this. You know, we have seen some of these intraday bounces, you know, over the last several days and, and then trading lower at the end of the day. So it could be an opportunity. But I think 
it's important to right size and also look at your time horizon, you know, from an investment perspective to be able to make these types of decisions. Let's let's pivot, I guess, Brenda, away from stocks like this to to ones that we maybe could suggest are more fundamentally sound, for lack of a better description. It's just the way it comes to my mind, more fundamentally sound. We we can be better believers in what the story is and what the trajectory of the the business is rather than relying so far into the future um, for whatever the, the company is ultimately going to deliver it. Mega cap tech, for example, falls into this category, right? And even they're not immune to what the selling's been in terms of correction. And this has been one of the areas of the market that's really held up. And it's correct the broader indices from having a more substantive correction because the names like NVIDIA and Amazon and Meta and Microsoft and Apple and Alphabet have held up. But now, NVIDIA is 27% off its 52-week high. Amazon, 17. Meta, 15. Microsoft, 11. Alphabet, 9. Apple, 7.5. And, and what look are we how weak these bounces about are. these names today? Yeah. Yeah. Well, look, part of the question look, is, look at the, Brenda, what are we supposed look, to think about the, the way these stocks have come down? Um, are the bounces anything to believe in? Because there is, Josh said, weak. And if you get a you know, look out below on these names... You got big, big problems um, in the broad market. Yeah, I think, you know, that we have to come back and look at what's going to be important this year. And we think more than anything, fundamentals are going to be important. Pricing power is going to be important. We're not counting on a valuation expansion, certainly not like we've seen over the last couple of years. In fact, we could get valuation coming down a little bit for the broader market. So I think we look at what is going to drive this market going forward it's earnings growth. Um, so I think looking at the companies that really have solid earnings growth that are much easier to value, not unprofitable companies, but profit companies that are highly profitable, like the Microsofts of the world, um, and seeing that they're now down you know, double digits from their high. I'm not saying they can't go lower, but I think this is a good moment uh, to add some exposure for those who may be underexposed. Um, now, there may not be many people who are underexposed, uh, but I do think it does provide an opportunity. And I think as we look to next week, obviously a huge week, not only with earnings, but also the Fed. But I think it will be a moment for the market to refocus on fundamentals in terms of the earnings story here. Um, and so I think it's going to be an important point. Um, but I do think from a big picture standpoint, uh, this isn't a bad moment to be adding a little bit of exposure. I'm not saying go all in at all, uh, but I do think this is providing a little bit of an opportunity here for those really high quality names. Josh, I'll come back to you to, to finish the point that you, you, I think, wanted to make about the bounces in some of these names. Yeah, I mean, this is this is like uh, d down 4%, up 1% for a lot of the large cap growth stocks. And I'm not saying that this rally can't build strength throughout the course. Of the, who the hell knows, right, on a one-day basis. But this is not, you know, the gap open, uh, the gap open rip that's dominated by some of the lowest quality stocks that have been hit the hardest is not historically the most favorable backdrop to be able to say, okay, we've seen the worst of it. Um, and then you look, I'm long Amazon. Uh, fundamentally, I think it's one of the best companies in the world. Uh, but this ain't it. Like this, this is, to me, looking at it as a shareholder and maybe even possibly as somebody that might want to uh, add to the position at some point, you look at Amazon and you just say to yourself, all right, there's no conviction that Amazon has seen its its worst. 
Um, Apple started to roll over really for the first time yesterday. Microsoft has been the strongest um, and continues to be today. That stock is just astounding. These are real um, NVIDIA, which I also own. These are uh, not a great bounce. These are very high quality situations, but it doesn't matter if people have stock to sell. They're going to get hit eventually, and arguably some of them already have uh, in the case of Amazon and NVIDIA. So I feel like if you want to be the person that says, I'm going to nail the bounce perfectly, okay, this probably isn't the final bounce. We probably have not seen the worst of it. The President of the United States yesterday gave a speech basically predicting a hot war in Europe. Am I the only person that saw that? I think you guys carried it on the air. So when you have that sentiment out there, Right. Regardless of how you feel it's going to resolve in the interim without resolution, we should not feel as though we're seeing the bounce. And I just feel like that's realistic. And if you end up being wrong about that, it's not the end of the world if you had lightened up into this. So let's, if we could, try and, you know, rise above, you know, the the planes coming up. We've we've hit some turbulence, right? We get through the clouds and let's try and look beyond the, the current environment that we're in, which feels bad and, and may frankly get worse before it feels better, depending on whether you think that we're finding some kind of bottom in the NASDAQ and other areas of the market that have been pretty uh, hard hit. We tried to do that yesterday with Rick Reeder of BlackRock. And here's what he said about his market view, despite everything that's happening now, to keep your eye on the big picture of what stocks can still do this year. Here's Reader. We'll talk on the other side. If you've come a long way, maybe we pause a little bit. Listen, I think at the end of the year, I still think equities are going to be your best asset class, certainly relative to the bond market. I think equities can be up 10% this year. How they get there, I think, is unclear. And like I say, I'm looking forward to next week and seeing how Chair Powell and uh, does and, and talks about where policy is going to be and how, how quickly they feel like they have to bring the economy or bring inflation back down again. Now, The issue, obviously, that has everybody captivated is the move in interest rates. And, you know, the 10 year pushing to one nine yesterday, all of a sudden has everyone taking the next leap forward to, okay, the next stop's two percent. And then maybe it's two, two, two and a quarter. And then who knows where. Reader also told us he thinks we're kind of getting towards the end of this run. Let's listen to that. I don't think we're going much higher. And I think that's the important point. You know, we're going to get there in the next month or two, or it's going to take four or five months to get there. I think that's where we're going. But I don't think some of the radical calls that have, quite frankly, dislocated a lot of investors is, gosh, the Fed is so far behind behind the curve, they're going to have to lift where they end up going with rates, how quickly they get there much faster. And that's going to push rates dramatically higher. I just don't think so. All right, let's bring in our market headliner for today. See what he thinks about what Rick Reeder had to say. Chris Heise, he's the chief investment officer at Merrill and Bank of America Private Bank joins us now. It's good to see you, Chris. Welcome back. Hey, thanks, Scott. Appreciate it. Two things there um, from Reeder. I'd love to you uh, to get your opinion on whether you think we can do 10 percent in equities this year, despite how bad we feel and the volatility that we're experiencing now. And this idea that, okay, rates have gone up a fair amount in a fairly short period of time, but we're getting towards the end of the road. What do you think? Yeah, I think that's a really good part of the whole story here. It, it, it is tough to say 
what we end the year at. There's so much gyrations going on. We have a whole new regime at the Federal Reserve. We know all these things. We, we know where the Fed is going. We Four or five hikes. Uh, we know they're going to do balance sheet contraction. We know inflation's stickier and longer. What we don't know is how much the profit uh, cycle itself will outdo the valuation decline. And if it's simple math. If the profit growth is higher than the valuation decline for this year, you have a positive market. From our perspective, we still think this is a market that's in a vortex right now. Jason and Josh talked about that revaluation, that reset. Uh, tech is being split, and the money that's coming out of the split part, the unprofitable area, is going into, or at least some of it's going into, the less market cap areas like energy. So mathematics will tell you that the indices are going to struggle to get ahead of themselves. However, if you had a dollar today and you're looking at all the asset classes and you're looking to rebalance, the net worth asset class is the growth asset class. That's equities. That's the difference between assets and liabilities. And that's still much more attractive than bonds or declining purchasing power in cash. So we think this is a Buffalo market. What's a Buffalo market? It's in the bull family. It can get tired. It roams quite a bit. It's rather heavy. Um, and it's a grinded out across the prairie type of market where you get these vortex periods. Now, for the long-term investor, let's talk about it. The five-year investor, these are fantastic buying opportunities in the equity space, in the part of the market that will have length of stay, the high-quality end that's producing really solid free cash flow. Now, let me pick at what you said a little bit. Um, you said at the outset, we know, we know, we know, we know all of this stuff is, is in front of us. You threw out four to five hikes plus quantitative tightening. We may know all of that's happening, Chris, but the market doesn't have to like it. And valuations don't have to make sense where they are today if all of that is going to happen. And we're in the process of figuring out what a true or correct valuation is for stocks in the environment which you just described. We may know everything is coming, but we don't know what the appropriate valuation of the market should be under the scenario in which you laid out. Yeah, that's, that's the beauty of investing, right? You just nailed it, Scott. It's, it's the process of figuring out what that valuation number is on the future, on the next 12 months, on the next 24 months. I think if you put your checklist down and you can say, hey, if we have above average nominal GDP growth, you've got some pricing power, you've got a little bit of operating leverage, and you build a profit cycle that's still going forward, you're getting growth there. If you get growth in profits for this year and you add a normal growth for 23, that valuation decline, that reset that we're trying to figure out what that is, should still stay in the 20s. And here's why. The capital efficiency in this economy, in, in the, even in the globe, but in this modern day economy, the capital efficiency is three times greater than the post-World War II median period. That's a fancy way to just say we use money so much better today per employee. And that goes a lot farther and it creates a different backdrop. And if that's the case, then valuations have to remain above what the most strategists and economists believe the right valuation is for the last five decades. So from my perspective, you also pick, seen your, pick your number, 20 and a half. But, but you also seem to suggest that earnings growth is going to be robust enough to offset any of the declines of an interest rate hike or a change in policy or, you know, some of the things that the Fed is is likely uh, a probable at this point to to do. 
But the economy looks like it may even be slowing off of great levels, of course, but nonetheless slowing. Yeah, certainly um, still above average, as you said, nominal GDP growth, you know, eight, nine, 10 percent split that in half. You get the real number and you can still get revenue growth and beats in that environment much better than what we've experienced since the global financial crisis, obviously slower than last year for obvious reasons. But if you get a double digit increase in earnings, even if it's 10, 11 percent, that could match the valuation decline. You get a flat market. But if you beat that and you get 14, 15 percent growth, which is certainly in the cards, you get a positive trending environment. You add a few dividends to that dividend yield. You're now close to that 8 percent, a couple ticks below what Rick was talking about. And the key is going to be (laughs) all this liquidity drain that people talk about. Um, it's happening. We, we know that. But it's probably taken the balance sheet down to $7 trillion if they put the $100 billion cap in from $9 trillion plus. That's still 40% or larger than where we were pre-pandemic. So I think it's, it's, enti- it's an important time to exhale, rebalance your portfolio, get back to the basics, stick the fundamentals, and use these opportunities for the longer-term investor that can think past this year as a way to average into some of the names that have length of stay. Okay. Um, and that's fair perspective, um, I think, to, for all of us to sort of keep things in perspective. And, and a big reason at the outset when you said it's a great buying opportunity and you were very careful to say in what part of the market you suggested it was and, and what it wasn't. And I'm thinking about the kind of extremely high multiple and valuation stocks within the tech landscape um, that is notable uh, that you did not mention specifically. And I know exactly what you were referring to. Josh Brown has a question for you, Chris, before we wrap up. Go ahead, Josh. Hey, Chris, from, uh, I appreciate all your comments, and I agree with you. If your time horizon is longer than five years, which for most people watching it is, we won't remember any of what went on the last week or two. Um, I want to ask you about, if you're thinking about now with, let's say, your traditional portfolio, you've got stocks, you've got fixed income, Yesterday, the German Bund traded at a positive yield for the first time, I don't know, four years, three years, whatever it is. Uh, And now, all of a sudden, there are actual yields on what we would traditionally consider risk-free assets, treasuries, for example. Uh, Isn't this what you want to happen if you're building a diversified portfolio that there's – I understand in real terms it's not great. But just in nominal terms, the fact that – you don't have to be fully in stocks. You can own fixed income, and you can get some sort of return from away from the stock market, even if it's painful for multiples short term. Isn't this just a more constructive environment in the intermediate to longer term to have choices away from the equity market for somebody in their 60s and their 70s trying to have their money do something? Absolutely. Uh, this recalibration is exactly that. It's the interplay and in the, in the rise in yields that's making some parts of the market that were not attractive before now attractive. Um, that's another good part about investing. Money is always recycling. Money is always coming in. If you have dividends or bonds, you're getting cash flow in. And thankfully, as yields rise, you can buy into a higher yielding environment. Yes, one one eight five one nine is, you know, we all think that's high yield and we're probably going or drifting higher. But to your point, Josh, you're absolutely correct. And this is another reason why the recalibration that's going on could potentially last into the middle part of the year. And not, not totally the valuation reset, but the recalibration of money, because you've got a lot of risk parity funds. You've got global allocators. Think of the sovereign wealth funds out there thinking, just as you mm-hmm. said, you know, the German bond market now turning positive. 
And, and if we get to real positive yields, that's a whole different story. So this is a recalibration. This does allow diversification for the first time in, in a few years to start to work again. Yes. Hey, Chris, I appreciate it very much. It's good to see you. We'll talk to you again soon. That's Chris Heisey again, Maryland's Bank of America uh, joining us today. All right. Ahead on the half. Doc's got unusual activity. We've got calls on the day. People own those stocks. We're back right after this. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit odfl.com to learn more. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. Let's do some calls of the day now. We're going to top it off with AMD. Downgraded to neutral from overweight Piper Stanley. Don't see that all that often. That's our primary call of the day. Dr. J, you own AMD calls. Kramer says this cut was a, quote, wrongheaded cut. What do you think? And I mentioned you don't hear much negativity around AMD. No, you don't, Scott. And the reason you don't is, of course, only Boeing has a bigger backlog than uh, any of these big semiconductors. Um, the fact that advanced micro devices um, got this downgrade, I understand if it's because, and part of the note said, you know, it was just a tremendous year for them. And taking some money off the table um, is something that smart investors, traders do all the time. But I wasn't really taken by the note that caused me to uh, exit my positions or anything. I just think you hammer out calls against the position and you continue to hold because I think that demand is going to push prices up and push the price of the stock higher. Next, we've got Visa, MasterCard, and PayPal, all named top 2022 picks at Morgan Stanley. It's super relevant to us today. Uh, Brenda, you own PayPal and Visa, and PayPal's been squirrely lately. The return on that stock's down 5% year-to-date, six months down 40%. Yeah, PayPal saw the correction much earlier than others. Obviously, it's for fundamental reasons, however. There was a bit of a disappointment, but I think it led to a reset of expectations, where expectations have really arguably gotten ahead of themselves here. But this company is really... Um, 
a leader within the payment processing industry in terms of innovation and also growth. We think that's going to continue um, into this year. Also have some exciting developments with Venmo being accepted now on Amazon. We don't expect a huge financial contribution, but it really adds legitimacy to the Venmo platform. Um, so we still think that this is an interesting opportunity uh, for a name that was once beloved um, and that is incredibly profitable um, and uh, still has a lot of opportunity ahead of itself. Jason Snipe, you on PayPal as well. What do, you, what do you make of the recent decline? I mean, this was a very much loved stock and it's certainly been in the penalty box. Yeah, it's been a tough rundown. Uh, on the other side, you know, I mean, you know, not too long ago, it was up over 300. So, yeah, I, I agree with a lot of what Brenda already just said. I think payment volumes, though, have been surging. That that trend is not changing. It was up 26 percent in the last quarter. You know, so I think this might be an opportunity here. Again, it's, it's an expensive stock. It fits in that bucket. Um, but I do think there's some opportunities here. And there's definitely opportunities for the long term. There's because there's provided all the secular tailwinds that support this industry. So I like PayPal here. So, so Josh Brown, where, where does PayPal, pay, PayPal, PayPal fall um, in those kinds of stocks that we talked about at the outset of, of the show today? It's down 42.5% from its 52-week high. Is this one of those, I need to buy it now because the fundamentals are so sound, or I need to run for the hills because the stock's been just trashed in a relatively short period of time and is now sitting more than 40% from its high. Yeah, I like the stock. This is one of those that, you know, I've used bounces to lighten up on, but I've been dead wrong on this because close to 300, I was beating the drum. You got to be in PayPal. So I've been very wrong in this name. I really did not anticipate uh, the, the relentlessness with which the market would, would be selling off uh, the fintech names. I thought these names were, were okay. Um, and PayPal is nowhere near as expensive as it was at those levels. But to Brenda's point, they also came out in November and changed the story. They came out and, you know, the expectation was for 20% growth in 22. And they came out and said more like 15. And so a lot of that selling was warranted. So I have been wrong in the name, despite the fact that it's currently trading right around my, my uh, original average cost. Uh, and I am sticking with most of my position here, and I am looking to stay with this stock for the long term. I think PayPal ultimately is going to own very important real estate on everyone's smartphones. We're not going to have 10 fintech apps. I've talked about this on the show before. I think we're headed to a point where everyone's going to use two or three super apps, which will enable you to do everything from paying your bills to buying crypto, trading stocks, having mm -hmm. managed, uh, managed money on your, your phone, et cetera. We're not going to want a whole screen full of these. So I think PayPal is positioned better than most. You look at what went on yesterday with SoFi getting their bank charter. Uh, nice, nice reaction in the stock, but that's not even close to where these names are going to have to go in order to be that super app. I think Venmo in stores yeah. is a very underrated part of the reopening story. I think Venmo at Amazon as well has a lot of potential. But just overall... This company with almost 400 million users is positioned better than any other. So I want to stay with my core position here for the long term. A couple of great days for SoFi as we show you that stock on our screen. Now, lastly, Doc, um, Ford. So you bought new Ford March 22 calls. Um, and this is a stock that just got hammered yesterday. It was the worst day in eight months. And I remember we did it live on the show yeah. uh, when we were flagged to it. Mm -hmm. And it was... 
Yeah, it was something to see. I mean, this was a stock that had such a great run and then bang, uh, as you like to say, it got hammered. And now you've bought some calls. Tell me why. Bang. Well, Scott, there are six different strikes of options, call options that have traded over 30,000 contracts, each one of those representing three million shares of stock. So this is very heavy activity after that washout yesterday. And do we know it's the, the washout? No, we don't. But we do know that they were just hammering on the stock. This morning it opened down about 3% plus, Scott, and then turned around and went positive. Now it's back to unchanged or perhaps a little down right here, but I'm hoping to sell more calls against these March 22s. I have two full cycles out till March to do that, and I like the upside from here with the F-150 Lightning and so forth out there. So, yeah, I'm comfortable with the position, and I'm looking for more upside here. All right. Good stuff, Doc. Thank you. Let's get the headlines now with Rahel Solomon. Hi, Rahel. Hi, Scott. And here's what's happening at this hour. President Biden warns any Russian troop movement into Ukraine will be considered an invasion. Biden says that he has made that clear to Russian President Putin. Biden sought to clarify his position after saying that a minor incursion might trigger a smaller response from the U.S. and NATO allies. The CIA now saying that most cases of Havana syndrome were likely not caused by a foreign adversary. The agency says that most cases that have been reviewed have been linked to known medical conditions or environmental factors. Hundreds of American officials have reported symptoms attributed to brain injuries, the first showing up at the U.S. Embassy in Havana. Jury selection, meantime, has begun in the federal trial of three former police officers in connection with the death of George Floyd. They are charged with depriving Floyd of his constitutional rights while acting under government authority. And near Tahiti, a pristine coral reef has been found that appears to be untouched by climate change. Researchers say the two-mile-long reef is deeper than most and that may be protecting it from the bleaching effects of warming ocean waters. The find also suggests that there may be more unknown large reefs. Scott, I'll send it back to you. All right, Rahel, appreciate that very much. Thank you, Rahel Solomon. Stay with us. John has unusual activity trades coming up next. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. All right, Doc, it's time for Unusual Activity. Tell us what you see today. Okay, Scott, lots of unusual activity today. Let me just see here. Whoop, whoop. Uh, a bunch of them just went flying by me, Scott. Um, so unfortunately, uh, I, got Cody. I, I don't have it up I got on my Cody, screen Doc, right now. Okay. I got Cody yep. in front Thank of me. I'm looking one, at the Scott. February 9th calls. 
Yep, go ahead. February 9th calls yep. on Cody. Stocks exactly. are moving higher by 5%. Cody, February 9th. Scott does it better than me, folks. Thank you, Scott. $8.70. They started buying these calls. They are the February 9 calls, as Scott said. Big buying here, 22,000. That's 2.2 million share equivalent. So I'm in those. Take a look also at Snap. This is a put trade. Snap, March 33 puts with the stock at 37. In other words, somebody predicting at least a $4 drop between now and March, Scott. All right. Doc, I appreciate that. Thank you. Netflix shares, they're higher ahead of its earnings after the bell tonight. The stock down 10% in a month. We're going to debate that next ahead of the results. All right, Netflix is set to report earnings after the bell today. Since the pandemic, it's only beaten earnings estimates twice. Jason, you own it. I watched Julia Borston on Tech Check earlier today tell us that international subs are the thing to watch. Absolutely. So, yeah, Netflix, is. it's been a tough sleigh, you know, recently. It's down about 14 percent year to date, you know. Uh, underperformed the market last year, was up about 11% last year. But yeah, I mean, this the sub additions in media are tough to come by. I think internationally, I think that's where the opportunity is. That's where the pricing power is. They've, they've got a lot of runway there. But it's an expensive stock. You know, it's always traditionally traded at a premium. You know, so I'm not overly bullish on the name. You know, I don't have a lot of conviction here. But um, you know, they, they've invested a lot in the content lab, library, so hopefully that will benefit them going forward, you know, going into the later half of hey, 2022. Dr. Sorry, Jason, I didn't mean to step on your toes at the end there. Dr. J, you own Netflix calls. Um, growth in the U.S. and Canada has stagnated, and everybody is now focused on international uh, Asia subs, the content spend, the pricing increase. W- what do you see here? Well, uh, just like Jason said, stock down from $700 just a little bit ago, it seems like, Scott. Down here now trading 523 It's up 7 bucks on the day. Um, I think overall, Netflix, and it's one of those reasons that, I mean, when I heard the folks, uh, Josh and the rest of the group, talking about being able to weather a 20% drop in stocks, I don't have that kind of fortitude. Um, options are a whole different story, and that's why I can stick to things like call spreads in Netflix or put spreads if I see negative. We haven't seen people accumulating this one, Scott, since basically November. So right now I'm just continuing to hammer out weekly calls against March calls that I own in Netflix. And I'll keep doing that because I don't see that big jump in upside activity that would uh, get me to basically bet along with that smart money that we go a lot higher. I think it meanders sideways for a while longer, Scott. Okay. Uh, Doc, thank you for that. We will be right back. All right, guys, I want to call your attention to shares of Peloton. We have some significant breaking news regarding this company, and you can see that stock down 10 percent on word that it plans to temporarily halt production of its bicycles and treadmills as consumer demand wanes and the company is looking to control its costs. That is according to internal documents obtained by us, by CNBC. In a confidential presentation, the company said demand for its equipment has taken a significant drop due to price sensitivity and increasing competition. Our Lauren Thomas, who broke the story, is going to join the exchange. 
at the very top of the hour. So in less than 15 minutes from now, you'll get more details on a report obtained by CNBC that is causing that stock to go down by about 10 percent on what has already been a devastating slide for investors. Take a look at Peloton shares trading at twenty eight dollars, thirty four cents. That's a near 11 percent decline. Dr. J, you just bought Peloton puts, I'm told. Yes, sir. Um, Scott, um, I'm looking right now. The I started with the 31 puts. I've already bought the 30 puts as well. And this thing is just sliding fast, Scott. There was like 5,000 contracts traded at either of these two strikes 10 minutes ago. And in the last 10 minutes, they're both up over 12,000 contracts. Um, that's a lot of put buying. People are starting to react to that news that uh, our good reporter is breaking. And wow. Uh, these are falling fast. These call these puts are up from 40 cents, Scott, to over three dollars like that, literally like a heartbeat. So I'm keeping an eye on that. I'll probably take a little off before the end of the show. But, yeah, that's that's not good news for this company. Josh, we, we knew um, and we said as much. I mean, and, and, and most people admitted the fact that there was no way that Peloton was going to be able to keep up the level of extraordinary growth that it had during the pandemic once the pandemic started to wane. Stock came down considerably as a result of that. Reports over the last couple of days have come out of some extremely well-timed insider sales by John Foley, the creator, CEO of that company, and some of the other executives as well. And now you have this internal memo obtained by CNBC on news that they're actually cutting their production now as some of that demand has waned. Josh. Look, there are landmines all over the work from home segment of the market, and nobody's been immune to all of them. Uh, And and I've been in some of those, you know, over the last two years where I overstayed my welcome. I made money. I could have made more, et cetera. But like out of all of those names, this was the most obvious just because of the sheer mania there was for people to get on waiting lists and get them delivered and you didn't have to know a lot. You just had to know a couple of things. Number one, most Americans are slobs. Number two, um, most people who are physically fit don't actually like to stay home. They actually prefer to be out in public. That's why they get physically fit, so people can see them working out. It's like a whole thing. I don't possess that gene, but believe me, that's a thing. And then you just think about the history of fitness-related companies on Wall Street. Name one, one that's been a success. There aren't. I was on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange with you, Judge, the day Fitbit went public. Remember that? They put treadmills, giant treadmills, out in front of the exchange. I said, oh, this is a short. Um, Whatever the camera one was where people could watch you surfing and skiing. Nobody wants to watch that. GoPro. That didn't work. Bally's Total Fitness disaster. Uh, GoPro. Uh, Remember Town Sports, New York Sports Club, Philly Sports Club, LOL, Planet Fitness. None of these work because we're slobs. And the ones that do work are usually a component of a bigger company like Nike. So uh, this was always going to be a stretch. And then you think about how many people bought a Peloton in 2020 or even early 21 that are now going to put these things on the market in the secondary market to sell. There was no way they would be able uh, to have that same level of demand for new machines. So. I'm not saying this sure, can never work. I'm just saying out of all the landmines, this was the easiest to, to sidestep. 
So, Jason, um, the stock's halted uh, down just about 11 percent. I get what Josh is saying, and it, it's, it's funny and all that. And, you know, at the prior valuation, it may have been ridiculous, but we've spent a good portion of this show talking about what to do with stocks like this. Peloton may never get back to the levels it was, but it certainly may go higher than it is today. No one's suggesting necessarily, I don't think, that Peloton's not going to be in business a year or two from now or even in a longer time frame than that. Maybe now is a more reasonable valuation. What do you think? Yeah, so this this is a difficult one because I would say this is this is I mean, exactly what the headline of the story was. Demand has been waiting. So it's completely a demand story. I mean, even if you're throwing out multiple the multiple narrative out the window right now, uh, as it relates to demand, I think interactive fitness is strong. It's 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 something that people are interested in. But the physical bikes and the treads where folks are we're getting past the variant and folks are getting back outside to do their thing. This is a difficult one for me, you know, and, and I must admit it was one that I traded in, in 2020, 2020, but for now, you know, not interested. I, I, you know, I wouldn't put any capital work here. Okay. Uh, let me remind you as well that our own reporter, CNBC's Lauren Thomas, is the one who broke this story. She's going to be coming up. There's the piece on CNBC.com. I urge you to check that out. It's about 12.55 right now in the east, so you've got about five minutes or so before she joins the exchange to give more details on a story that is causing a significant further decline in shares of Peloton. Those shares currently halted. Actually, they've now reopened clearly because they're down about 16.5%. This may be a situation where they get halted repeatedly just because of those new rules uh, at the New York Stock Exchange in, in terms of the way that stocks trade, especially when they move rather dramatically in a pretty short period of time. So keep your eyes peeled there. Doesn't look like it's moving now, which tells me it's probably halted yet again. We're back with Final Trades right after this. Oil's move lately. Very big story. There's Mark Fisher, MBF Clearing CEO, uh, one of the best traders of all time in the energy patch, certainly with oil. He's joining us tomorrow to talk about where crude is going next. Can't wait for that. Let's do final trades. Dr. J, give me something quick, please. Uh, Starbucks got 99 calls that expire tomorrow. Bought them. Okay. Okay. Uh, Brenda, what do you have? Uh, Abbott Labs, strong core business and nice cash driven by all those COVID tests. Okay. Jason Snipe. Bank of America, steady loan growth coming back. Stay long here. Josh Brown. Carlisle Group, hanging in better than most of the other stuff I own. Staying long. All right. Let's take a look at Peloton again uh, as we head out before we hand it over to the exchange. Again, that CNBC scoop. Uh, shares are still halted. The company uh, halting production of uh, some of its bicycles and treadmills because of waning demand. It is a story we just broke. You're going to get more on it right now on the exchange. Guys? You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today 
at aarp.org slash money tools.